Welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today on the show we'll be discussing the importance of financial literacy at all ages. To help me break things down, I'm joined by U.S. News Senior Editor for Personal Finance, Susanna Snyder, and U.S. News Credit Card Expert, Beverly Harzog. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you, Antonio. I I think they're on the line. Yeah, they're there. April is Financial Literacy Month, so I wanted to make sure to spend some time addressing it with you two, as it's a major issue for consumers in terms of spending, saving, taking on debt, credit, home ownership, and I could go on and on. But I want to start out with a few statistics on the problem that illustrate just how common it is. So nearly two-thirds of Americans can't pass a basic financial literacy test, according to FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Only 24% of millennials demonstrate basic financial literacy, according to a study from the National Endowment for Financial Education. 32% of millennials don't understand how their credit score is determined, according to the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. And even we at U.S. News ran a nationwide survey in March of this year that showed almost 60% of consumers don't know which actions could hurt their credit score. And the numbers seem to be getting worse over time, not better. They're trending downward in many of these cases. So from your perspectives and your work covering personal finance, where do you see the biggest issues in terms of financial literacy? Beverly, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, this is a great topic. I'm very excited it's Financial Literacy Month, and I wish we could just make every day Financial Literacy Day. Uh, one of the biggest problems I see is that uh, you know there's tons of information at everyone's fingertips now. We've got the internet and these great websites with all this information. Uh, you know, sometimes just awareness is a problem. People aren't sure where to go to ask questions. Uh, you, you know, as the the stats pointed out, you know a lot of people don't really understand how credit scores work or. I know in our U.S. News survey, 41%, only 41% knew that you had to pay interest if you carried a balance. So there are a lot of basic things that people don't know. And I think one of the problems is they don't know what they don't know. I mean, there's always something there, you know, where they could save more money or have better credit if they just understood, you know, the rules, the, the way the game is played. Yeah, I, I agree with Beverly. There are just so many important topics surrounding financial literacy. So, you know, saving, budgeting, credit, debt, all of these are hugely important to understand if you want to manage your money wisely. Um, For me, one of the biggest uh, issues or, or concepts people should understand is just the power of the rainy day fund. So there's a study from the Urban Institute which found that families with as little as $250 to $750 in savings were less likely to be evicted, miss a housing payment, receive public benefits after a job loss. You know, they could weather financial setbacks much better if they just had even a little bit saved. So I think that's one of the big things that people should be thinking about early on is how can I make sure I'm spending less than what I make? And then I'm building that into a savings account to really help me uh, weather any financial setbacks that that will come along in my lifetime. I love that idea of the rainy day fund, because when we talk about financial literacy, we mean for both short-term and long-term financial health. So, you know, paying off a credit card today versus how to invest for retirement in the long term. So can you talk a little bit about how knowing this information sooner as opposed to later 
can save you, you know, a, a few hundred dollars this month and have even generational financial importance over the long term, Susanna? Yes. So the decisions you make as an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old will have ripple effects throughout the rest of your financial life. You know, you're never too young to start thinking about this. Um, you know, I think about how we ask 17 and 18-year-olds to uh, borrow for college. And that's a huge financial decision that involves thousands of dollars. And they're making it before maybe they've even opened up their first bank account or their first credit card. So it's incredible incredibly important to be making good financial decisions early because if you do when it comes time to buy a house or start a family or get that first job you'll just be in a much much better financial situation i think if a recent common complaint is to blame the school system now at various levels more and more i'll see tweets or memes making fun of the fact that we learned uh, how to play the recorder in school, but not how to file taxes or establish good credit. So there's this open debate now about mandating financial literacy classes in school. So I ask you, both of you, what are your thoughts on the best place to improve financial literacy? Is this something we should be mandating in, in high school? Should it, should it be viewed as an optional course to take in college? Is it something employers should be offering more and more? What are your two opinions on that? Beverly, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. You know, this is a great question. And I've seen those tweets, too, about the <laughs> <laughs> about learning the recorder but not knowing how to, you know, balance your checking account. Um, you know, I don't think that getting into a place of blame is very productive here. So, uh, you know, when I see that... Uh, at this point, it doesn't really matter how we got where we are. We are where we are. So I would say that, you know, in high school, certainly, they should be learning personal finance. My daughter took a class in personal finance in high school, but not all high schools offer that. And, of course, since I'm a, uh, you know, a credit nerd, <laughs> you know, I insisted that my kids take that. Uh, so I think starting in high school is great in, in terms of outside influence, but, Parents need to take that upon themselves, too, to try to teach their kids about personal finance at an early age, starting with the allowance, you know, and then going on up. Now, having said that, uh, just because you give someone the opportunity to learn doesn't mean that they will. So it's not going to be a foolproof system. I know I took trigonometry in high school. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, you know, some people are going to soak it up, some kids will soak it up, and others will be daydreaming during that class. So, uh, you know, it's important to offer it, though, because even if, you know, uh, a certain portion soak it up and learn about finance, that makes it worth it. So, you know, starting in the family and in high school and college, too. That's, that's what I think. I'm I'm with Beverly here and you know I do I do have to say before we get into this that I was a recorder prodigy and <laughs> none of those classes were wasted people would pay hundreds of dollars a ticket to hear me play Mary Had a Little Lamb wow. so we may have to change the yeah. intro music to the to this podcast and we can get the recorder in here. <laughs> No yeah gosh I mean <laughs> financial literacy is probably one of the more important skills you can learn um there's actually a lot of debate around the best way and method and time to teach this. Um, some people say that financial literacy 
doesn't really work and that we should be talking about regulation. Other people say, instead of teaching, you know, home buying skills in high school, you should be teaching it uh, in what's called just-in-time education. So before somebody buys a house, you know, in the months leading up, you teach them about mortgages, interest rates, PMI, all of those topics. So I think there is still a lot of question about when is the best time to learn it. The point is that you have to, at some point, um, sit down and really go over these concepts. And, you know, as we talked about before, I think the earlier, the better. If you're not lucky enough to have parents who are modeling good financial behavior and teaching you good financial skills, then try and get into a class in high school. Maybe there's a financial literacy club uh, you can join. Really try and get those skills as early as possible. And, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes that we have to kind of seek this out on our own, but um, that might be the best case scenario if there isn't sort of a, an option that uh, is just sort of programmed in. Susanna, yeah, this high school. Oh, can I just oh, jump go ahead, for a second? Susanna, I love what you just said. Uh, you were talking about educating people before they buy their first home. That is awesome. And you know, it made me think about, you know, when people go, go into bankruptcy, uh, you know, they're required to have some counseling sessions, but we're doing that at the back end here. <laughs> so something up front would be, would be really great. That's a great idea, Susanna. I was just going to comment on the, the, this concept of teaching it in high school. I mean, a lot of people f sp will space out and forget about it. I, I don't imagine many, many high school students would even be interested in a class that you know, you're looking at electives to take as a senior in high school and one says, you know, financial literacy. I don't know how many would take it as sort of a, an elective class. It's, it's, it's tough, but I want to go back, Beverly, to what you talked a little bit about parents teaching the kids. I mean, that's the, that's the common follow-up to this question. Uh, parents should be involved in teaching their kids financial literacy at a young age. You, you, you gave one example of the allowance. What are some other examples of what parents can do at different stages of their child's life to teach money lessons without becoming this helicopter parent <laughs> and taking over all financial decisions for their children? Yeah, that is a great question that all parents are <laughs> trying to figure out, trying to figure out the right way to do this. Um, I remember when my daughter was, uh, I guess it was late high school, uh, there was a movie called Confessions of a Shopaholic out there. She asked me to watch it with her, and I did. And so while we were watching this and laughing at this woman who th thought that credit cards were magic cards that, <laughs> you know, where you just gave the card and you got your, your uh, new shoes and, wow, it's free, uh, we talked about credit after that movie. And I told her about my experiences. So I try to make it fun. I try to make it, uh, like, not like I'm preaching it, but, hey, I, I screwed up, okay, with my money when I was in my 20s. And this is why that happened. So I give a lot of personal experience with my kids. Uh, for better or worse, they have a mom who really messed up <laughs> with money when she was young. So I try to, you know, make it fun, work it into normal things that we're doing, like a movie. Or uh, I remember going to the grocery store and showing them how I compare prices. Uh, so just little things like that. It doesn't have to be a sit-down kind of lesson, you know, where everybody's going to space out. But... Uh, you know, just taking the time, answering questions. It's an ongoing process. It's not something that you could just do and be done with. As the child gets older and gets more mature, you could do more things. And I'm a big fan of the family meeting. Uh, we used to have a big family meeting and we would talk about money, you know, and uh, I got tired of everybody trying to talk over each other. So I got a <laughs> compass, 
okay, you know, with directions and stuff, and whoever was holding the compass got to talk. So that, you know, that gave us all time to talk, and, you know, the compass metaphor for direction. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's, I would just do little silly things like that to keep them interested, to make them think that this was actually fun while they were learning. How old were they when you did these meetings? When I did what? When you did the, these compass, the compass direction thing. meetings. My son, let's see, I think he was in about second or third grade, and my daughter was in sixth oh, wow. grade. So um, I was always coming up with something new, you know, and, uh, but it was very helpful. Those are great ideas. Um, something that I think Beverly was kind of handing on um, is just really working these lessons into like your day-to-day life. So even... I think as a parent modeling good financial behavior, like having a conversation about money is good financial behavior. So doing that as much as possible, if, if even if you're not thinking very hard about your finances and then you have kids and you think to yourself, okay, now's the time where my kids are really watching me. I need to really shore up the way I'm handling my finances and model good behavior for them. I think that's huge. Um, another Small thing, although your kids might hate it, but I think it's a great way to teach them about money is have your teenagers get a part-time job and have them pitch in on wants, if not needs, but definitely things they want. It's a really good way without being a helicopter parent because you're not there with them while they're working, while they're getting their paycheck, but you're sort of encouraging them to understand the value of the dollar. Um, they maybe sort of can start to understand uh, you know, the time value of money, what it takes to buy a movie ticket or a new pair of shoes. I think that part-time job is huge. And if you can get your kid to go, you know, work at the mall or McDonald's, they might complain, but it's a really great lesson. <laughs> I, I certainly remember going to the grocery store with my dad and it wouldn't happen often, but every so once in a while, it was just the two of us. And if that, we would buy a hundred things and every single item was on sale and <laughs> there was, there was no <laughs> chance we were buying a single one of those 100 items at the regular price. And I remember it driving <laughs> me crazy because it took a lot longer to find every categories on sale item. But that, I remember that, you know, 20 years later, it has certainly stuck. And, and the idea of, of the part-time job is also great. Uh, I remember, I mean, my own personal experience has been you're a certain age and your parents are paying for everything and then they're paying for 90% of things and then 70% and then 30% and pretty much at a certain point you're spending everything, right? And and slowly being weaned off of it helped uh, understand the, the power of the dollar and how much it meant once it was my own money. So I certainly <laughs> agree with all that. The issue now with a lot of families, I think, since this is such a pervasive problem is that adults don't know enough themselves to teach their children. So in these cases, outside of the classroom, outside of the home, what tools out there do you think are the best to use for getting more financially literate? I think U.S. News and World Report has Perfect. great tools. Got to, we got to plug our own um, tools here, but we really do have a lot uh, in usnews.com slash money. You know, we have core guides, explainers on building a budget, avoiding financial scams, all sorts of really important topics. So that is definitely a place to start. Um, there's also a free course that you can take through the National Endowment for Financial Education called Smart About Money, um, which can which provides you with free classes to, to learn um, about certain financial concepts. Uh, there's also another tool. It's called Foolproof. 
and it teaches consumers skepticism about sort of marketing messages and helps them make wise financial decisions. So I think those three can be a helpful place to get started. Yeah, those are great ideas, Susanna. And I have to also um, say that, yeah, U.S. News, we do have some great stuff online uh, to help you uh, learn just the basics. Uh, one site I like is myfico.com, and I really like that one for learning a lot about uh, the FICO credit scores. You can get a lot of the basics, and it's, presenting, it's presented in um, an easy-to-understand way with a lot of graphics. <laughs> so people like graphics. It helps you understand. Uh, another thing I suggest is, uh, you know, hopefully, and if you haven't done it, you need to do it right now, uh, get a budget and start tracking your spending. And you're going to learn a lot as you do that. Um, I use Mint.com. Uh, I've used it for years. When my kids uh, got into high school and started getting jobs, and started having a bank account, I showed them how to use Mint.com. So sometimes, you know, you just have to get in there and you get a little hands-on experience. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, U.S. News, and there's so much on the Internet that can help you for free. Susanna, you wrote an article on USNews.com about how even romantic relationships factor into financial literacy because of how often one person in the relationship handles all of the financial decisions, leaving the other person essentially financially blind. What did you glean from your research for that story? Yes, that was a fascinating story to report. And it was based on research that shows that when couples get together, one couple often takes on all of the financial tasks while the other takes on other obligations, you know, raising kids or managing shopping, managing groceries, whatever, you know, other duties. So as the relationship progresses, the person who's handling the finances gets better at handling money and the person who isn't gets worse or maybe stays the same. So, you know, that works if you stay with your partner forever and ever and nobody ever dies before the other one, but that's not usually what happens. So if there's divorce or one of the partners passes away, um, you might find that suddenly you're in charge of your family's finances, having maybe not thought about this for decades and decades, and you're in a complex situation where maybe you're dealing with a death or a separation, which can be financially really, really complicated, um, trying to figure this out with a low level of financial literacy. So a way to avoid that is to make sure both partners, even if it's not totally equal, even if one really does love taking on the financial decision-making and is the leader, that the other is still involved, that if they meet with the financial advisor, uh, the non-financial partner goes to those meetings, that they talk about goals together, that they talk about financial strategies, that like Beverly was talking about before, there are money meetings where the non-financial managing spouse is there. So it's really important. I know it's easy to get like relaxed in a, in a relationship and think, oh, I'll never have to think about this. It doesn't matter if my partner, you know, takes on all the investing decisions. But don't get too complacent because it really can kind of bite you in the end. Well, I think that the natural thought process of, well, that, that person's better at it than me, so they're going to handle that and I'll handle the thing that I'm a little bit better at and that will make sense, but it, it certainly has can have negative consequences. And I think even if, let's say, there's a divorce, the cost is going to be so much higher to the person who doesn't know a lot about these, these things to do that they're going to be paying for help, basically. Uh, and spending a lot more money to to get answers to things they could have gotten 
earlier on in, in their life and the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like divvying up your relationship by skills, you know, is totally makes sense. You know, I don't like do, you know, uh, I don't replace like the outlet covers in my house because my <laughs> husband's really good at it and he enjoys it. But at the same time, you should at least not totally check out of things like financial decision making. <laughs> Beverly, you've written about and even spoken on this podcast about your personal story with financial literacy. Can you give some examples from your path to financial freedom on how learning specific lessons about money directly helped you make better financial decisions or opened up new possibilities for you? Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, I had made so many mistakes when I was in my 20s. I got into terrible credit card debt um, and just kept spending, okay? I mean, I can remember one time when I went on a cruise and I had 10 cents in my jacket account, and I was just charging everything. It was crazy. Uh, but, you know, I got to a point where, you know, I uh, lost all my credit cards. I couldn't charge anything else anymore. And that was kind of rock bottom for me. And for some people, you have to go to rock bottom <laughs> to, to um, you know, figure out uh, that you have to take responsibility for this. And it's really just a matter of ownership. And um, what Susanna was talking about earlier, too, about the couples, you know, it's great if one person's great at finance and they want to handle it. But uh, you need to be involved. Everybody needs to be involved in the finances as well as the childcare situation. So uh, divvying things up like that, I think, is a good idea. Uh, but more about my financial literacy. You know, I would say I started looking, uh, I started reading a lot of books and magazines and just studying uh, personal finance. I was I originally started doing that to just uh, figure out how to get out of credit card debt, and then I realized I needed a budget. So the more I learned, the more empowered I felt, and I just loved it, and I just felt a passion for teaching other people. So that's how I, I transitioned. I used to be a CPA, uh, so, <laughs> uh, so I transitioned from that into writing about personal finance because I could see that people did not understand it. And my personal experience just gives me a lot of empathy, I guess. Susanna, I know you're in the process of getting your certified financial planner certification. I cannot think of a better anecdote for this episode than that. Can you speak to your process and your decision making on why it was important to you? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I've been covering personal finance for almost a decade and I was realizing that there's still so much I have to learn. So I wanted to go and get some kind of um, official designation, really sit in classes where I was learning um, some of the basics of financial planning and some of the more complex concepts as well. So I think my takeaway from this has really been, doesn't matter how much you think you know about personal finance, there's so much to learn and it can seem really daunting, but just sitting down, you know, reviewing material, reading advice from good sources, from legitimate sources is, is a really powerful way to, to shore up your financial knowledge. So that's what I've been doing at maybe a, a level that is um, pretty intense, but I'm almost done with, with the coursework. So I survived. And so obviously now the solution isn't everyone go get your CFP certification, but <laughs> Certainly expanding your knowledge in the financial world has far-reaching positive consequences. How, how far along are you in the program? So I have just three weekends left. I'm at the final capstone course, which really combines everything we've learned um, into one kind of big unit. So 
Um, I'm at the very end. And then if I survive this, I will uh, study for the national exam and take it later this year. Great. And then we'll have you come back on and, and give us even more uh, financial advice. <laughs> As we finish up here, uh, any last words of advice from you two? Beverly, would you want to go first for this? Sure. You know, it's, you know, it's really a matter of just taking responsibility for, you know, your own life and your own finances. And, you know, people think, oh, this is going to be boring. You know, you don't want to read the fine print. Uh, but you know what? There's no, there's no greater feeling than knowing where your money is going. Okay. Because when you have a budget, you're tracking your spending and Susanna mentioned the rainy day fund, and I can't stress that enough. I mean, that is so important, uh, you know, in, uh, to, to help you out. Because you never know when you're going to lose a job or have a medical crisis. So that is just really, really important. So I think really the foundation, you know, have a budget, track your spending, uh, and build up that rainy day fund. And with credit, you know, keep low balances, pay your bills on time. Uh, you know, learn how it works. At U.S. News, we have a lot of articles to help you do that. Yeah, and just to, to uh, jump in here on that, I mean, from my perspective, this stuff is really hard. You know, I've been writing about this for years, and there's still so much I have left to learn. So if you're finding, you know, personal finance or financial literacy difficult to get your head around you know, don't beat yourself up. Don't feel like you're stupid. You can go to maybe a trusted family member, a financial advisor, uh, run a financial idea by somebody you trust who is good with money. You know, you can't learn it all in one day. And sometimes you have to be easy on yourself. So, you know, it's absolutely a life skill you should have. You know, your financial literacy is crucial no matter what kinds of consumer protections are in place. But you know, give yourself a break. Be kind to yourself. This stuff is hard to learn. And um, the longer you do it, the more you work your way through it, the better you'll get. Beverly and Susanna, thank you both for joining me. Uh, see you soon on another personal finance episode. Thank you. Thanks Enjoy you. Bye-bye. And a thank you to our listeners. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate it, comment on it. And if you have personal finance questions related to debt, saving money, loans, or credit, and you'd like answered on future shows, please email wealthofknowledge at usnews.com. We'll review your emails, and we'll try to answer a few on the next personal finance episode. Finally, if you'd like to read up on some personal finance information, including some great work by Suzanne and Beverly, check out money.usnews.com slash personalfinance, where we have all sorts of advice on taxes, spending, budgeting, banking, and much more. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm Antonio Barbera. See you next week.